And as kids, if we're not getting that, if we don't feel fulfilled in getting that attention that typically we're looking for, for our parents to get, we will see attention-seeking behavior. Hey ladies, you're listening to the Mom Talks with Krista podcast, where I interview some of the most amazing women from those sharing knowledge related to labor, breastfeeding, and postpartum issues to everyday moms sharing stories of struggle, triumph, and the unexpected. These women are sure to give you honest conversations to help accomplish one key issue, getting rid of mom shaming. So if you want a judgment-free, open conversation, buckle your seatbelt and enjoy the ride. This is Mom Talks with Krista. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Mom Talks with Krista. I'm so excited for this episode because I think you're going to get so much out of it. I just can't wait to share it. We have Samantha Day, who is a family sleep and behavioral specialist, and she's going to share some amazing techniques when it comes to children and their behavior and how to react to it. So I just can't wait to just dive right in. All right. Well, welcome, Samantha. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm so excited because that you reached out, first of all, because... We haven't had a behavioral specialist on the show before, so I think this is something that our moms will really benefit from. So just to get started, if you just want to tell us a little bit about you, your background, family, and then we'll kind of go from there. Absolutely. I'm so happy to be here today. And this is a little bit of a different perspective for a lot of parents, something that's not talked about as often. So I'm excited and feel blessed to be here to be able to do that. So a little bit about me. My name is Samantha Day. And uh, first and foremost, I'm a wife and mom of two. I have a seven-year-old and a five-year-old. And then I'm professionally a behavior specialist. My actual title or certification is learning behavior specialist. And then I'm also a sleep expert. So I partner with families, guiding them to a rested and a happy home is typically what I say. And we work with a lot of different ages. So sometimes it's with pregnant moms who are ready to like start out on the right foot and then all the way up through, you know, childhood and sometimes even into teenage years when we're just focusing on connection and handling behaviors as well. That sounds so interesting. We'll have to have you come back and talk about that too. So what kind of like, first of all, what made you want to go into like behavioral health and become a behavioral specialist? My story is a little bit different. I never would have predicted or thought or chosen to go down this path, to be totally honest. I always wanted to be a teacher and that was my goal and I was going to make it happen. And I did. I actually was a special education teacher for quite a long time. But when you work in that area, your degree is actually in behavior. There's so much that goes into the special ed world. And so that's what I did. I worked with children on the autism spectrum, mostly in the behavioral realm. And then when I became a mom, I decided my goal was to stay at home for a couple years and be with my little one. We were able to make that happen in our family. So I did. And actually sleep is what brought me into this because I am one who needs sleep, just like a lot of mamas that are out there. And uh, my son was not a good sleeper at all. And so I used some of my behavioral background to guide him and help him and taught him how to sleep because it really is a learned behavior to be able to teach our children the skills they need to get the sleep that they need. So I taught him that and that turned into friends asking me to help them. And so I would help them with different things. And they started reaching their goals. And so it kind of flourished more on the sleep end first. And then once my business really started growing and I had reached um, a thousand families or so at that point, I decided, well, people are asking for behavioral health questions as well. And so we started digging into that because a really a huge part of our children being happy and being able to understand and learn new things is that they're well rested, but also that they can handle emotions and behaviors. So they really went hand in hand more than I thought that they would. So even though I'm not on the traditional path I originally chose, I definitely am using both of those, uh, both of those paths. I would not have connected the two either. So that's, 
That's cool. so cool. And I'm so interested to hear even more about how those connect and how you do that. So what exactly does a behavioral specialist do? So like when someone reaches out to you, what are the kind of the steps you take and how, like, what are different things that you teach families? So when I work with families, the first thing we do is dig into their individual family because every family is different and we want to recognize that, celebrate that and figure out what's happening and how can we get to your goals in a way that fits your family individually? Because that is so, so, so important. So that's the first thing we do is I just learn a little bit about them and their parenting style and what's going on, what their main concerns are and what their main goals are. And then we look at the fact that every behavior serves a purpose. So a lot of times we'll see something happen and we're like, what in the world? This doesn't make any sense. And to us as parents, it really doesn't make sense. We're like, why in the world would they do this or would they do that? And this is ridiculous. You know, in our head, those thoughts kind of go around. But every behavior serves a purpose. And I would say so often behaviors are attention seeking in the younger years. And it's just simple communication. I'm trying to get you to respond in a different way. So I'm escalating my behavior or I'm changing the way that I'm acting or whining or talking or requesting, whatever it is. So we dig into what is the purpose behind the behavior that you're, you're currently seeing and how can we guide that to a place where we're seeing the desirable behavior, fading the ones we don't really want to see anymore and seeing more of the behaviors we do want to see more of. So today I know you want to talk specifically about promoting positive behaviors in the home. So how can making sleep a priority help with the behaviors within the home? Sleep is a huge piece of the puzzle. I like to think about it as a puzzle because there's multiple pieces that go into us reaching our goals and our family culture that we want, right, in our homes. And a huge piece, I would venture to say the biggest piece right there in the middle of the puzzle is sleep. Because when we are well rested, our bodies are able to function at the level that we want it to physically and emotionally as well. And think about us as adults. If we are well rested, we're probably able to deal with things a little bit better and have a little bit more patience. And this is definitely the case for our little ones as well. We want them to be able to be well rested so that they can be learning new things and they can be sorting through these new emotions. Know that emotions are normal and it's okay to feel that way. But what do we do when these emotions happen to calm our bodies and to be able to work through it? But being well rested also helps with things like your immune system. So hopefully that we won't be sick as much as you know you would be if you're not getting as much sleep. And when we're feeling well physically, we're usually going to have better behavior as well. So it's just kind of the foundation. If we're sleeping and getting the rest that we need for our bodies, we're functioning at a different level physically and emotionally. That makes so much sense. Cause I know like even as adults, like when, yeah, when we get more sleep, we're able to function better the next day. So it should be the same, you know, for kids and all around. So that's, that's awesome. So another thing you talk about is creating one-on-one time with Lil's, especially if you have multiple. So what does this in particular help with? So our, again, we talked about behavior always serves a purpose and a big part of that is attention. So as humans, after we, our needs of, you know, food and shelter are met, we need attention and some power opportunities as well, which I talk to families about, but we need appropriate attention. And as kids, if we're not getting that, if we don't feel fulfilled in getting that attention that typically we're looking for for our parents to get, we will see attention seeking behavior from our little ones trying to get that 
that attention. Even if it's negative attention that they're getting, it's a way of fulfilling some type of attention. So if we can proactively find time to fill that attention need for our little ones, we typically start to see less attention seeking behavior and less power struggles, which leads to better behavior. So I usually say with families, um, you know, if you have one kiddo, it's obviously a little bit easier than if you have multiple, but it's still just as important to fill up that need for every single one of your kids. And this doesn't have to be, you know, an hour alone with each kids. That's not feasible. And that's not something we can really juggle in most families, but we could say, okay, 10 minutes a day with each kid, maybe even five, if you can make it work, you know, a little bit more would be even better, but find a realistic amount of time that you feel like you can feed your little ones individually and then have that time with them. And we're talking eye contact, no technology, really nobody else in the room. If we can make that happen, and just kind of set up a way where we can really be looking in their eyes and doing an activity that you enjoy and that they enjoy, okay? Because we wanna do something that's feeding them, but also we don't wanna have to, let's say that my, my least favorite thing to do is play trains. I know that's horrible, but my son loves trains and I'll sit there and play with him sometimes, but to be honest, I'd rather find a different one-on-one that we can really both connect with because it serves me behaviorally and it serves him as well. So we will find an activity that we both want to do that's not necessarily trains and we will sit and we'll do that even just for a few minutes. And that fills up their need for attention. And typically we will see that their ability to be creative on their own, their ability to have more one-on-one time after that attention is amazing. So if we can have that happen earlier in the morning, sometimes we start out on a better foot. It doesn't always work that way um, for our family. Sometimes it has to be later in the day. But if we can make that one-on-one happen first thing in the morning, sometimes we can kind of push that button and start on the right foot through the rest of our day. This podcast is sponsored by Mommy Knows Best. Mommy Knows Best empowers all moms with the tools and resources necessary to give your newborn the best start in life. With an assortment of lactation supplements that contain all natural herbal remedies traditionally and effectively used for generations to treat low milk supply. Whether you're a new mom or a pro, Mommy Knows Best gives you plenty of options, all of which are created with the health and safety of both baby and mom in mind. So another thing you talk about is emotion words. So what are those and then how can they be used? Emotion words are so important. And that is just a matter of teaching the words of what we feel. So things like happy, sad, mad, frustrated, you know, angry, scared, you know, frightened, all of these types of words are words that we can be using from the time our children are very young so that they're familiar with these. And in the beginning, when they are young, you know, young toddlers and young children, we may have to label it and say, oh my goodness, it looks like you're really frustrated right now, you know, and just really label that. Or we can model it ourselves and we're trying to open a spaghetti can in the the kitchen and we can't do it and say, oh, I'm so frustrated that I can't get this and allow them to see that all of these emotions are completely normal and completely okay. And we all feel that way, but what do we do to calm ourselves and what does our body look like when we do feel this way? And that's what's really important is we want to teach and model and use those words so they're used to them and they see what those words mean. But we also want to say, 
what can we do to calm ourselves when this happens? And it's really important that we talk about this for sure at all parts of the day, but it's also important that we address this when emotions are low. Because when our emotions are high and our kids are frustrated or, you know, my brother took my toy and I'm really, really mad, of course that's a time where we can label the emotion and we can maybe model some of the calming strategies. But our logical brain and our emotional brains, they don't really work at the exact same time most of the time. So if our kids are at a real heightened level emotionally and they're really upset, logically understanding, okay, this is what happened. This is how I calm myself. It may not be the easiest thing to do in the world. So practicing that and talking about that when they're calm, that's what's going to help them the next time to be able to really kind of use those skills that they learned in the actual moment to calm themselves. What are some other examples of some different like calming strategies that it's you know appropriate to like teach our children during those times? Really depends on the age of the child. So we'll you know look at see you know what are they fully cognitively understanding and what can they do physically, and that's when we'll decide. But things as simple as squeezing our hands really tight, and we can model that and just say, okay, oh I'm so frustrated. Let's squeeze our hands and let's count to five. Or for an older kid, let's squeeze our hands and count to fifteen. You know, you you pick what would work for them academically in the moment as well and. Cognitively, but it could be things like taking a deep breath and blowing out. Okay, that is really going to help calm their bodies. Uh, there's different things like clapping, um, which can just be a rhythmic way of calming themselves, just like a real soft clap that they can do. They can squeeze a sensory ball. They can squeeze a pillow. They can run back and forth in the room really, really, really fast as a way to just kind of get that anger and energy out in the moment as well. But appropriate ways like that can be helpful in calming them. I love you talk about like express like emotion words, expressing how they feel and then it's okay to feel those ways because I think a lot of times like it's like oh don't be angry don't don't do this and then kids like either hold it in or then they get more angry because they're not able to express themselves so I think that's so powerful what you were saying about that so you also talk about giving attention to positive things and things we want to see more of so what do you mean by that So back to the beginning where we talked about every behavior serves a purpose, a behavior that receives a response is going to continue. So that response could be positive or negative, but we're probably most likely going to see it continue. And a behavior that doesn't receive a response or it receives a consistent response or consistent guidance every time is one that we're normally going to see fade. So let's use whining as an example. Okay, many kids will experiment with whining and it's not the most pleasant thing to listen to, right? And when we react to the whining, we will see it continue because to them, I whined and mom either gave me what I was looking for or I whined and I whined and I whined and mom eventually got really mad and told me to stop whining, right? These are just examples, but one way or another, whining typically receives a response positive or negative. And so we see it continue and continue. But what if we stepped back for a second and we said okay whining is a behavior that we don't want to see anymore we want to fade this okay and we decided that we were either going to not give it any attention or we were going to give it consistent attention so I'll give you an example of both of those sides because every family is going to choose a different way that fits their parenting style so the no attention would simply be that whining is something your ears can't hear and this would be you know you're standing in the kitchen and you're making dinner and you've got a little one at your leg saying I'm hungry I'm hungry I want food right and they're whining and they're whining that they want to eat and you simply don't hear it you know they're safe there's nothing wrong in that moment but your ears don't work and don't hear whining and the second 
that they stop whining and they call your name in an appropriate tone or they change the way they're asking, we give it a ton of attention. So in that moment, we say, oh, were you asking me something? I can hear you now. Very good. Ask me again. Tell me what you need. We get down on their level. We look in their eyes. We give it so much attention to the behavior that we want to see more of instead of acknowledging the whining behavior. And so often we say, we acknowledge it in a negative way. We say, you know, oh, stop whining or say it differently. Or, you know, you're whining. I can't answer you. And we just acknowledge and acknowledge the whining, but not acknowledging it. And then responding in a big way to the language we do want to hear shows them what type of behavior received the response that they were looking for. So that is a way of not responding at all. Another way though, for parents who are like, well, I'm not going to ignore my little one, right? Maybe they're not comfortable with that personally in their parenting style. Another way is to acknowledge that it's happening with consistency. So this would be maybe coming up with a sentence that you say consistently every time that you hear that whining. And that could be something like, say it nicely and mommy will answer. And let's say they whine again. You can say, say it nicely and mommy will answer. This is just an example I made on the top of my head, right? But coming up with one sentence and responding consistently every time and they're whining about any subject doesn't get an exact response about the subject, but instead gets a consistent response until they change the way that they're talking. That's another way to guide this. So we're giving attention to what we want to see more of, and we're giving less attention or no attention to what we want to fade. Does this kind of response work also with like doing something they shouldn't be doing? So if they're like jumping on their bed or, you know, something like that kind of behavior, would it work as well with that? Or is that a little bit different? It can be the same, but safety is number one. So if it's a, you know, whining, there's no concern that your little one's going to fall off the bed or get hurt or anything like that. So an ignoring situation, making a choice to ignore that is okay. But if we're jumping on the bed or we're, you know, throwing a toy and it might hit somebody, then of course, safety is absolutely first. And then ignoring isn't an option in that situation, but consistently responding is one of the best things we can do. So if you're noticing that your little one, let's say is hitting and is hitting a lot, um, that's a way where we can control their hands, pull their hands down, even turn them away from us where we're holding them and they're safe, but they're not able to physically hit us in that moment. And we're not making eye contact and giving attention to the actual behavior. We're controlling, we're making sure, you know, controlling the hitting, making sure that everyone is safe. And then when we calm down, then we can talk about the hitting again when emotions are lower. But in that moment, let's say you've grabbed their hands to make sure nobody's hurt. Let's say you've turned them around in your arms and you're giving them a hug. Maybe their back is to you. Maybe you have a consistent statement in that situation as well, where you say hands are for hugging, not for hitting or something like that, where you come up with your sentence and you repeat it consistently, maybe even model some of those calming strategies as you're holding them. You could go, right. And you're kind of modeling that in those big moments. And then when they calm down, we can talk about it some more. So every situation is going to be a little bit different, but taking a second, stepping back and deciding how am I going to handle this situation? Right. Especially if it's something that's repeated a lot and you're seeing them constantly jumping on the bed or constantly doing X, Y, or Z, you can come up with what your consistent guidance method is going to be to help fade that behavior. That's awesome. I think a lot of moms watching this are going to be able to, you know, apply some of this to their daily routine. I always like ending these interviews with um, just, I call them like fun thinking questions and it kind of just shows like perspective from each mom. So if you could have a billboard made today where you could share one tip with moms everywhere, what would you have it say? So this one is 
I would say more sleep related, but sleep is an important part to behavior as well. I would paint a billboard with the brightest color ever that says sleep is possible because we live in this time period of social media, which has so many benefits, but also a time where we see hashtag tired as a mother, right? And we see, you know, will not sleep tonight and, you know, tired mama, I need coffee. There's so many things that lead us to believe that children aren't supposed to sleep, that it's normal to have a three-year-old who's still waking up three or four times a night, that we consistently just kind of think it's something we have to deal with when in fact it is something that is so important for our little ones to learn the new skills that they need to be able to get the sleep that they need. And that's going to benefit behavior as well. But there's so much that leads us to believe that this is just something we all have to deal with and get through when really, in fact, we can, we have the power to teach our little ones in a way that fits our families individually, the skills to be able to get that solid sleep that they need for their health, their development, their behavior, everything. Okay. And then this next one is kind of similar, but what is a quote you live by or think of often when it comes to parenting? So this one actually relates to what we're talking about specifically. And I wish I knew where I heard it from, but I don't. And the quote is give your kiddos all of your attention some of the time. And that means like what we were talking about before, fill up their attention, their need for attention, you know, some of the time, but when you're there, give them all of your attention because in this day of, you know, social media and our phones and all of this stuff distracting us, it's so easy to go, oh yeah, oh, I like your drawing. Oh, uh uh-huh. Yeah, I'll be right there. Right. And there's this distraction that goes on and our kiddos are so aware of that. So when we give the attention, we give it all, but sometimes it's okay for our little ones to not have our attention and learn that that's normal as well. So tell us where everyone can find you on social and then what you kind of offer, like if you do content consultations or that kind of thing. So share all your information there. (laughs) Yeah. I'd love for people to come and find me on Instagram. That's where I am most active and you can find it at, at Samantha day sleep consulting and I'm same uh, handle on Facebook as well. And then my website is Samantha day consulting.com and there's tons of information on there, but I would say I partner with families in a lot of different ways, one-on-one consulting and through videos. And that's probably the most popular option right now. Um, I have a membership group where people pop in. They have a library of videos on both behavior and and sleep. And it's divided from birth all the way to six years old. So they go in there, they find the age of their child, and they have a bunch of three to five minute videos that talk about all the transitions our kiddos go through. So what happens when they're sick, when they're teething, when there's nap transitions, when they start hitting, you know, all these different things. And there's a video right there as a consistent place to turn uh, when they need advice. So that is um, an option. And then I also have courses that people can take if their little ones aren't sleeping well, and they are just ready to get on track. All of that is there as well. Well, thank you so much. I can't wait to share this, um, not only with, you know, YouTube and Facebook and everything, but with our Facebook group. Um, cause we got a lot of moms and they're asking questions about sleep and behaviors. All right guys, for listening to the mom talks with Krista podcast. For more information about this show, past shows, or to check out our YouTube channel, please see our show notes. If you loved the show, please share it with your mom tribe. The bigger, the better. Thanks for listening and have a great day.